Get Mad with Chris Graves. Hey, welcome back to Get Mad with yours truly. I am Chris Graves. Uh, today I have a really cool guest, a filmmaker, and someone that actually works pretty closely to uh, someone that I look up to uh, quite a bit, Mr. Kevin Smith. Um, this gentleman, Mr. Josh Roush, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. You got it. Uh, <laughs> he uh, he just uh, directed uh, a feature film called Wrong Reasons that has to do with uh, do-it-yourself DIY uh, punk rock, and uh, we'll get right into that. Just tell us about, uh, well, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank and, you very much. Yeah, no problem. And um, just tell us a little bit about uh, Wrong Reasons. Uh, let's see. Wrong Reasons is a 97-minute uh, punk rock thriller is how we've been uh, billing it for the most part. Um, it is uh, about a lead female front woman of a punk band that gets kidnapped and, um, you know, kind of hijinks ensue. Yeah, that's fantastic because uh, I feel like there really isn't too many um, too many of these kind of thrillers or horror movies. I mean, we had a we had a few over the years. I mean, I remember Ozzy Osbourne actually had a cameo in a movie called Trick or Treat. Not not the one from a couple of years ago, but back okay. in the ni- 1980s, I remember he played like a, a priest or a minister on a talk show. <laughs> I remember that. Um, oh, that. That sounds dead on. O- Ozzy's a, a lovely dude. I do a little bit of work with him on his podcast. Oh, do you? Ew, yes. <clears throat> the first time well, he met me, he was like, uh, oh, are you some kind of love child I should know of? I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, he thinks I could be his. <laughs> Well, how did you come to, uh, how did you come to, well, how am I wording this right? I'm not wording this right at all. How did you, um, how did that job situation line up for you? I'm like chlamydia, man. I get around, you know what I'm saying? Um, (laughs) uh, No, he, uh, I think they share the same advertising person for their podcast. And uh, one of uh, the Osbournes needed some help. You know, setting it up, um, recording it, producing it, et cetera. And uh, so I stepped in, I think, five years ago for the first version of their podcast. And they've since decided to get the band back together. Um, I'm a little light on time these days. So I helped them set up the cameras, the recorder. I taught them how to use it. And, you know, now I'm kind of hands off until there's an emergency situation. So, Like a Ming Chen of it all? Uh, I would never compare myself to Ming in this life. Okay. <laughs> no. I mean pre comic book man. I mean when, yeah, as uh, Kevin's no, technical guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm just fucking around. I love Ming to death. Yeah, Ming's great. Uh, well, okay. Well, let's let's backtrack just a little bit and then we'll go back to uh, wrong reasons, but uh sure. how did you how did you come to be involved with uh, Kevin Smith? Um, you know, about 13 years ago, actually, I guess it was about 15, I was looking to move to uh, Southern California to be in a punk band. And at the same time, he was throwing his first and I think only uh, West Coast Vulgarthon. Um, so I, you know, kind of hung around the side of it and, and I met him at one point. I was like, oh, dude, is just absolutely lovely. Uh, so when I moved to Southern California, I think I spent like 10 years in Fullerton. He would throw these poker games at the uh, old production house. It was somewhere in Hollywood. And I think you had to buy like a hundred dollar merch pack. And then I would sit in and just play, you know, poker with them and kind of got to know them. And, you know, it's uh, at the time I was kind of getting a little, little, I wasn't having the best opinion of the band I was in. So rather than like, I, I, and I still wanted to be in a career where I could be artistic, but I also didn't want to be stuck in like a a sweat box with five egotistical dudes, you know? So 
Um, I started thinking of like other things I could do. And like, you know, I always looked up to Kevin's stuff and filmmaking just felt like a really natural fit. So I kind of made the jump over, started taking film classes, getting to know him better. Um, and then, yeah. And he was always just so sweet. It's somewhere along the way, Jordan tweeted out and saying that she needed a film crew, uh, to shoot at the Lovitz. And my buddy, not, not yet buddy, but JC Reifenberg applied and got it. And I applied and didn't get it, which is, you know, I, I only had one camera. I was kind of lying about what I was capable of anyway. That's what uh, you got to do sometimes. A hundred percent. Fake it till you make it all day long. So eventually like JC throws out a tweet and he's like, yo, I need like uh, essentially PAs. So I put my name in the hat and uh, they drew it. And I came out and I started shooting crowd camera for Babylon for get old. And then like from there, it just became like I became the main Babylon guy. Then I just started, you know, JC got really busy with everything he's got going in life. He's got a real career. I pretend to have one. And uh, <laughs> and so I just started filming all of Kevin's stuff, like two cameras and promos and ads and eventually got on Tusk and then did the doc on that. Then, you know, it's just been, you know, uphill from there, downhill from there, however you put that. And your experiences on uh, the horror movie Tusk kind of... Um... It still resonates to this day because, uh, as far as I can tell, your your latest thing that you're working on is a, a, a movie, a documentary all about the late Michael Parks, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I became quick friends with Michael on set. Like uh, he was kind of not doing so well health wise. He had taken a big fall, and when I say a big fall, I mean down two flights of very vertical steps in New York, and he oh, had brain wow. damage. Yeah, he was in a bad, bad way. So they sent him out to Tusk and like nobody kind of warned production that he was like mentally diminished. Like I would say one of the most whip smart people I've ever met, he was probably at 50% capacity. Like he had truly suffered brain damage. So he wasn't having the easiest time getting around the sets and stuff. And uh, Kevin and I had known each other for a beat at that point. So he parked me on parks as he likes to say. So I became like you know, Michael's handler. I get him to and from set. I drive him around. We'd hang out. And he'd always just be like, oh, why, why you wear all that shit on your jacket? He's like, <laughs> why are you so fucking nosy, old man? Like, <laughs> oh, you would say that right back to him? <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. And that, that, I think that's why we got along so well. So he kind of became like this grandfatherly like figure for me. And when production was done, I was like, you know, I am not prepared to say goodbye to this guy just because we ain't got a project. So I stayed in touch. I'd take him out to lunch and... Yeah, we go get drunk at lunch and shit. Uh, <laughs> this was the guy that was friends with Elvis Presley. Oh, my point. God. Yeah, yeah. Elvis Presley, he was personal friends with Johnny Cash. He was Lenny Bruce's pallbearer. He, yeah. he, one time he told me a story. He's like, I was in San Francisco, and I was hanging out with my buddy Lenny, and he didn't like the cops very much. And I was like, <laughs> I was like Lenny? Do you mean Lenny Bruce? He's like, I said Lenny. Weren't you listening to me? <laughs> and he would just like he knew martin luther king like he would just drop these names like they were no things like my old buddy martin i'm like just just say it just say it martin luther king <laughs> wow yeah he like he knew everybody it's like kind of like that uh six degrees of separation from kevin bacon oh 100 kind of like three degrees separation from michael parks <laughs> i mean honestly a direct line a lot of the time yeah Wow. So, so when, uh, what are you close to finishing that project or? Yeah. So we've been locked on an edit for about five years because we've been waiting to get Quentin Tarantino. Um, and you know, nothing oh, against yeah. Quentin. he's incredibly busy and he's got way better shit to do, big, bigger fish to fry than us. Right. Um, 
And we're coming now to the point to where, like, we screened the rough cut, you know, quote unquote rough cut, but it's very finished yeah. uh, at Smodcastle earlier this year. And everybody was like, don't know that you need them, honestly. So if we don't get them in the next couple months, I think we're just going to pursue uh, uh, distribution, which we've already got a handshake offer for. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. No, it just reminds me of um, I just interviewed a couple, uh, a filmmaker that was a part of the Robert England documentary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it just reminds for some reason, it just reminds me of uh, Michael Parks, who's kind of like this, this legendary character actor, kind of like, you know, obvious like Robert, too, in a way. Um Man, I don't think Robert was friends with Elvis, but pretty much you throw a stone and uh, oh yeah, totally. in Hollywood you can see so, you know someone that wor- that Roberts worked with. It just reminds me of that too. So yeah, yeah thank you so much. And we we got some killer people for it. We got uh, Justin Long, Mickey Rourke. Uh, I'm doing this by memory. Uh, oh, Robert Rodriguez. We did. Yeah, <laughs> he was he was so so weird and <laughs> so cool like cool yeah. weird in a cool way like right. he came like to this like he insisted it was like at a pizzeria but we didn't have like the rights to shut it down so like we just shot in this crowded pizzeria uh, <laughs> and he brought his like five pomeranians which like michael was a big pomeranian guy too so as soon as i told him that he was just like shit like i knew i loved this guy uh but we also got leonard malton we got kurt russell we got Haley Joel Osment. Now I am reading off of a sheet. Uh, we got Wyatt Russell. We got Genesis Rodriguez, Mark Frost from Twin Peaks, uh, Robert Kurtzman. We got Ralph, of course, Matt Penfield, and Jim uh, Mickle, who just did, um, oh, God, I forget the name, but some huge series on Netflix. Yeah, no, Matt Penfield. Wow. Yeah, I was uh, trying to get in contact with him for a while. Yeah, no, that's, oh, man, I was trying to think, too, when you said Kurt Russell. I'm like, where's the connection here? And obviously, I'm an idiot because it was death proof. So. That that's one of them, but honestly, one of Kurt's first roles uh, immediately after joining Disney was on Michael's show. Then came Bronson, so you can watch a, I guess, seventeen, eighteen year old Kurt Russell and him play ball together on one episode. It's it's fucking cool as shit. That would make sense actually, and in a weird way, it's because it, every time I hear "Then Came Bronson," I'm always thinking of Charlie Bronson. Sure, Char- sure, Charlie, like I knew the guy, Charles Bronson. <laughs> And uh, I think, yeah, if I remember correctly, I think Kurt Russell was one of the only people to get Charles Bronson to uh, to get teary eyed. I think sounds uh, right because he brought him like a birthday present. And uh, I think Charles Bronson said, yeah, I never no one's ever given me a birthday present before. And it was on like the set of one of those uh, early Disney movies, I think, which is weird for Charles Bronson to be in a Disney movie. For sure. Right. I think I'm getting that wrong too, but uh, yeah, no, it was something like that. But yeah, then came Bronson. Like yeah. that, that was a great show. You go back and, and watch that. Well, and then later on, like you know, Wyatt Russell got to work with them for a, uh, I think a movie called What We. No, that's a different one. It's called I don't remember the name, but they worked together. So, you know, I got to hear the story from Wyatt and Kurt about like my son got to work with them, and then Wyatt's like, you know, my dad, like this dude, my dad looked up to, got to work with him, and I finally got my chance. It's Everybody loved Michael unless you were in charge, and then pretty much like he was going to piss you off. <laughs> well, it seems like with Kevin uh, that it was kind of a, a love-love situation there, you know, with Red State and Tusk. There definitely was, but we had really rough days, and we don't shy away uh, from it on the documentary. Like, when he showed up, they had scheduled, like, all his big, like, monologues and soliloquies, like, on the first day, which... You know, as he did more work, you watched him slowly use his brain power more and more. 
but yeah. like he was cursing at Justin Long and he was like he'd yell at the script supervisor be like what's the line I know my line like and we, <laughs> we show all that footage because no, I he was, he was old school <laughs> it was he totally was and you know I just I, I don't want to shy away from who he was like it's it's a celebration of his life and career but also like he could be a pain in your fucking ass sometimes yeah I'm like yeah well, well all the greats <laughs> you know truth no, that's great. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, anyway, well, going back to uh, it's just funny too because I just did a uh, a tribute to George Carlin. Uh, oh, okay. A couple of days ago, and I remember um, Kevin telling Kelly, uh, George's daughter, on one of the old Smodcast episodes that originally um, he wrote the villain of Red State for George. Oh, really? I didn't know yeah. that. Oh, yeah. And uh, I. That's to be right. honest, I would love to have seen that version of it, but I think uh, I think things happened the way they were supposed to because now I really can't see anyone but Michael Parks you know, I in agree. The, the Abe and Cooper role. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Carlin. I worship him like a god, but uh, Parks in that movie is just so perfection. And, like, he choreographed his dance when he's, like, up there, like, you know, giving his sermon. Like, he, he yeah. was just so good and so on fire like when he was the sharpest like he was the absolute best yeah and it's unfortunate about that accident because i can you can kind of tell with some of the reshoots with johnny depp and everything yeah you can kind of understand where you're coming from you know and you i was always, to... always wondering about that you know if it was something that happened uh, yeah, you're totally right. But like, also, just even getting to know that dude at a diminished mental capacity was just like, Jesus Christ, this guy is so smart and talented. And he had like, a, like three gold albums, like he was a country singer. That's right. He would just sit there in his uh, trailer and he'd just sing to me. And I'd look around like, he's, he's, is he singing? He's singing to me. I mean, it's just like he was always performing. And, he, and then he'd go into poetry and he'd start doing Shakespeare. And it's just me and him in a trailer smoking cigarettes. Like, <laughs> like him at his worst, like, you know, mental, mentally was still like more than most of us will ever be. Yeah. Yeah. Especially myself. <laughs> <laughs> you seem pretty on it. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> well, well, let me uh, transition a little bit. You're talking about how uh, Michael was playing music for you. Um, I don't think we, I did get to, uh, what position were you in, in uh, some of these bands growing up? Oh, um, I've always been a rhythm guitarist mainly. Like um, oh, okay. occasionally, uh, you know, a bassist will quit and I get stuck on bass for a few years, which is always a bummer. Uh, <laughs> people expect yeah. a lot more from a bassist than they do like the second or third guitar. Right, they um, want you to be Cliff Burton. Exactly, right? <laughs> so, like, right now I'm in a band called The Overrides, and I play um, second guitar when our second guitar is out of town and third guitar when he is in town. So it's like an obnoxious amount of people on the smallest, shittiest punk stages. Um, it, no, it, that's it, awesome, though. And out of necessity, I had to buy a wireless rig because there's just sometimes there's just not room on stage for me. So I'll walk around the audience or go grab a beer and like not miss a beat. It's kind of fun. <laughs> That's great. What, what's the latest album that you guys are? Are you currently on tour right now? Uh, no, no. We play like a lot of Southern California gigs. We've all got like, uh, you know, uh, one guy, the bassist is having a baby like Cam Mazavian, who does all my uh, composing and scores. It's his band, but he's just joined another band called Empired. Uh, we did have a song on the Clerks 3 soundtrack, which was incredibly exciting. 
Wow. Because, uh, like, it plays, like, right as, like, Elias shows up to the quick stop at the beginning of Clerks 3. Oh, I and, remember that. Yeah. And, and Kevin doing that needle drop for us just meant the absolute world. Like, it got us some mad plays on Spotify. Like, just, uh, it's, that was super exciting. Oh, yeah. that's that's fantastic. Like, who would you say some of your inspirations were uh, in becoming a, a musician? Oh, my God. Um Let's see. Uh, Cramps. Um, let's see. Tim Armstrong, Lars Fredrickson from Rancid. Uh, I mean, any Ramones. Like, I, I debate I constantly. Ramones. Oh, my God. Like, what? OK, what's your favorite Ramones album? Oh, I would have to say. Probably their very first. OK, that, yeah. that's fair. Um, right now, I'm leaning Adios Amigos. But if you ask me six months from now, I'll have a totally different response. Like, <laughs> like I just adore those guys so much. And actually, I'm going out this Saturday to Vegas to shoot a thing with CJ Ramon, which is oh wow, pretty damn exciting. Yeah, yeah. The only Ramon that uh, I was ever ever had the pleasure to meet was Marky. Oh hell yeah, yeah. I met Marky at a book signing once. Yeah, because everyone else is besides CJ. Yeah, I think I think Richie too is still Richie is still kicking it. Yeah. Other than that, I think everyone else has passed away. <laughs> They're all gone, yeah. And like yeah. I was I just shot a thing for me first in the Gimme Gimme's a couple weeks ago and CJ plays bass. And my buddy had hooked up the gig and he was like, Did you go because he knows I'm a fanboy? He's like, Did you go over and talk to CJ yet? I'm like, What am I gonna do? Just sit there and salivate on the dude's dick? Like <laughs> I, I I got nothing constructive to say to this guy. So he texts yeah. CJ and he's just like, You see that guy in the corner? He's a big fucking fanboy. Like, go over and make him take a photo with you. So CJ walks over and he's just like, I hear we got a fanboy here. I'm like, ah, fuck, man. I've been outed. Well, if I remember correctly, wasn't he like one of the only he was in the Marines before he was in the Ramones? He was. If if I remember my history right, he went AWOL to join the join the Ramones. <laughs> Ramones, I know. <laughs> it just sounds like a total punk rock thing to do. Agreed. And he's a such a sweetheart, man. Such a sweetheart. That's what I've heard, yeah. Marky, he um <clears throat> I mean the only reason I was able to meet him, not at like a show or anything, it was because he was at uh, the Rhode Island Comic Con. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, which is cool. Yeah, I mean um, that fits too. The Ramones always love comics so much. Oh yeah, comics and horror. Yeah, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, totally. The Pet Cemetery. Um, no, that's fantastic. Did you ever get it? Yeah, you must have got into like Black Flag and and all that and Misfits, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, we we dedicate wrong reasons to uh, Henry Rollins and Ian MacKay. Um, oh, and say, wow. I think thanks for the giving tree, because like, you know, talk about two dudes who were in the scene for decades and like, you know, they weren't in it for financial gain and just like two of the coolest people like that. Uh, two of my biggest inspirations in the world. You talk about uh, DIY right there. hundred percent. Yeah. Show up like the day before a gig, flyer the shit out of the place, get the word out. That's when I took wrong reasons on tour. That was my business model. Like I'd show up a day or two before I would go to every record store. I'd go to every coffee shop. I'd go to anywhere. They would let me hang a flyer, every bar. And I would just talk about the movie and be like, Hey, I hope you come out, like throw up like flyers and leave cards. And that's, uh, it sounds like, it sounds like what Kevin did in a punk rock indie film kind of way with the four walling. A hundred percent that. 100% yeah. that. And if you That's, think I didn't use those contacts from tour, you're crazy. <laughs> oh, no, no. You got to use what you got to use. Yeah, no. No, that's fantastic. Like, I just remember uh, Henry's book, Get in the Van. Oh, fuck yeah. All those flyers, like, from yeah. like, just, just the uh, the artwork and everything. Totally. 
Yeah, well, that's fantastic, dude. Yeah, no, no, that's great. Um, no, what I also wanted to ask was you're you kind of branched off into uh, directing music videos for other people too, right? Yeah, I've been doing that for probably since I've been going to college, but there's been like a big influx in them recently. Like I think in the last probably month I've done uh, shot and finished three music videos and I'm in the middle of editing a full live concert for me first in the gimme gimmies. Okay. Yeah. And probably cause uh, uh, wrong reasons uh, is out and everything too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Any, anything I can get to, uh, to, to point the general direction of my website to get eyes on wrong reasons is something I'm, I'm doing a lot of right now. <laughs> well, yeah, before I forget, let's just tell everybody out there, uh, how can they see the film wrong reasons? For sure, yeah. It's uh, it comes out tomorrow, uh, which I'm incredibly excited about. But I got my pre order like a couple days early, so that was cool to check it out. Um, but you can get it on Best Buy, Amazon. You can get it on Target. Um, it's available on Vudu and iTunes right now. Uh, but if you just need one place to go to for all the links, it's FindCatOden.com. F I N D K A T O D E N. FindCatOden.com. Oh, that's awesome. That's that's great. And uh, okay, so well, now that we're back at wrong reasons, um, was this an idea you had for a long time, or is it something just while working with Kevin or in the bands and everything? Um, honestly, you know, I've always uh, wanted to be, <clears throat> excuse me, a narrative filmmaker, um, and you know, I just I had this idea that I couldn't let go of, and it was uh, what what would happen if you could have saved Kurt Cobain, if you could have saved Amy Winehouse, like if somebody stepped in and did something atrocious um and i'm trying not to give spoilers but it's it's kind of hard and impossible to like if you could have saved somebody from you know their imminent demise would it be appropriate to take them against their will to do so like that is a great idea <laughs> right and like we we don't uh i love the moral ambiguity of it and we don't ever like land on like a soapbox and start preaching like this was the right thing to do or this was the wrong thing like right kind of just dig through the you know both sides and it's like it's it's more of an exploration of the idea than it is like trying to cram some answer down you know the, the viewer's throat oh that's great yeah how long did it take you to make the film or to get the, uh, you know, like what's like the background story I find fascinating in a lot of independent films? Like what was the journey like to get the, the film made, like uh, raising the finances? How long did it actually take you to film the movie itself? Did you have to do it like every weekend for a certain amount of weekends, you know, that kind of thing? Or sure. was it fairly easy? Like not easy, but, you know, what I mean, like was it the, the schedule? Um, it, it was the biggest uphill struggle I've ever had in my life. Um, I wrote it about eight years ago, and I've had like probably twelve versions of the script um, written to various like you know uh, like uh, various budgets. And you know the the first one was like a million dollars, and then like it quickly became apparent like nobody's gonna give my fucking dumbass a million dollars. Um, so like I started whittling it down, whittling it down to like the core of it, but still where like we show a bigger world on like the shoestringest budget possible. So I think we landed on like a, a decent version of the script, um, like three or four years ago and we were all set to shoot. And then the pandemic happened and we were like, either we push on and push through this or we give up and who knows if we'll ever get it made. So we we uh, we were able to push through and like we raised ninety two thousand dollars to get this made. Half of it was through a uh, financier named David Shapiro, who's a, a saint in my eyes. 
Wow. Um, and the other half were Kevio cameos. Like, uh, we did, like, direct-to-camera, like, you know, uh, he reads off a teleprompter or whatever somebody wants to say. Essentially, cameo. But once we discovered that they take 10 to 15%, we were like, fuck them, we need that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so true. we did it entirely ourselves, just like we did everything else on this damn movie. Um, but we shot through COVID, and, I mean, I'll tell you, like, that was a nightmare because it meant that we could have only, like, four crew members for a feature film. Yeah, and it was like then we had to test once a week for the actors because we were SAG, and That's like right. so that was a quarter of the budget right off the top, and like a hundred thousand dollars. It sounds like a lot, but man, it is, it is really is it when you're making a feature length film, an uh, independent film. Yeah, hundred thousand dollars. That's the world. <laughs> yeah, right, hundred percent. And uh, I, I give give it up to Liv, man. She did such a good job producing this, and. You know, she'd uh, she'd take do a take and then like I'd yell cut and she'd get up out of the bed and she'd start producing and figuring out what we're doing for lunch. And like, you know, here's the next location and here's how much time we got for it. Like, yeah, honestly, I know, who, I, I know who Liv is, but just for everyone else, uh, can you just tell tell everyone who Liv is? Um, Liv Roush is a uh, one of the biggest badasses on the planet. And she does yeah. like a production supervising for way bigger shit than our little project is she does like a lot of netflix movies she just did uh rustin which hasn't came out she did blonde which came out last year she did the oh god amsterdam she worked on um she's just like one of the most bad bitches like on the planet and i was so lucky to have her as my partner in this uh, that's important too especially in uh independent film or any uh creative project that's 100 percent true and um yeah she she dealt with uh, my bullshit as the director quite well on set so that's, <laughs> that's a big thing yeah that's a big, it's a big plus <laughs> yeah. true. Uh, but also like i couldn't have done this without her i couldn't have done it without cameron masavian who you know not only like did spent two years making the score for this but also recorded sound on site uh lisa lee who did all our makeup and prosthetics and stuff which there weren't a lot of prosthetics but we had like two um, and then Matt Robottom, <clears throat> excuse me, was the uh, also the producer and like he was also the co-DP. Like we all had to wear like five or six hats for this project because like we didn't have money and we didn't have crew. So something's got to give. <laughs> so uh, right. we, as soon as like we yell cut, like we're all assuming different responsibilities. And like it it worked out incredibly well for uh, what what a crazy undertaking it was. Well, that's kind of that's the whole um, do it yourself uh, DIY ethic right there, like in play. A hundred percent agreed. Yeah, and it's, it's just kind of it's kind of cool that like that, you know, that's kind of the world that the movie takes place in too. You know. Yeah, totally. And like Kevin was the one because I was I was struggling to come up with a, what's it called the the phrase that's on the front of the box. Um, not a oh the tagline. Tagline. Thank you. And he's like, well, what's the heart of it? I'm like, well, the heart of it's DIY or die. He's like, that's it. It's right there because, <laughs> yeah. like, it, it says, like, not just something about the movie, but it, it also comments on the way you made the movie. That's right. No, I always loved that when I saw that in the poster. Yeah. Thanks, man. No, that's great. Okay, so we're just going to take a little five-minute break so uh, I can get some water and hydrate because it's really humid where I am right now. And we'll be right okay. Oh, I'm in Massachusetts, and it Copy is that. muggy as hell right now. I bet. And we'll be right back, folks.
Hey, welcome back to Get Mad with yours truly. I am Christopher Graves, and my guest is Josh Rausch, and he is fantastic and awesome, and he's a filmmaker, and he's a punk rocker. The guy is awesome, and uh, right off the bat, <laughs> right off the bat, welcome back, and uh, just just so that people are a hundred percent clear on how to uh, how to get to the website, can you just tell us again one more time? For sure, yeah. The website is findcatodin.com. That's cat with a K. Okay, I right. just want to make sure. And that's got links to uh, the Blu-ray, the DVD, uh, Vudu, iTunes, and also I should have mentioned um, we're playing August 16th to 21st at Pops Art Theater in Rochester, Minnesota. So if you're around, we're doing like 11 screenings. I won't be there, unfortunately, but okay. the uh, Kevin's exclusive intro will be playing. Now, just off the bat, are you guys planning on uh, touring it in New England anytime soon or at all coming up? Um, we have uh, two unannounced shows. One of them is going to be towards the end of September at the Smod Castle. And if you know the star of this movie, um, <coughs> Ralph Garman, um, he's probably going <laughs> to do a podcast you might have heard of, <coughs> Babylon, um, <laughs> alongside a screening of Wrong Reasons. And then I think we're also going to do a screening in Brooklyn, but it's not scheduled just yet. Okay, okay. And you had just mentioned the Smod Castle. And I going all the way back is uh, even before, and I kind of joke with uh, this gentleman. His name's uh, Vincent Pereira. Oh, yeah. He's considered the unofficial VUSQ historian. For sure. Uh, I've joked around with him that I'm even more of an unofficial view of skew historian with all the things that I've been able to uh, find on the internet of, of Kevin talking about projects that were, he was supposed to do here and there, like Jaws five and Chud three and all, all these different things that fascinate me just by being kind of in the loop with view askew, like the web board back in the day, like hiatus was another one, hating Hal, all these different projects, the movie name he never got to do. Okay. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) the reason I bring this up is that I was fascinated by the idea years ago that Kevin, on his list of things to accomplish one day, was to open a movie theater, and he was going to call it, originally back then at least, in the late 90s, he was going to call it Jay and Silent Bob's Groovy Movies at the time. Oh, hell yeah. And he kind of did, he kind of made that a reality, not kind of, he did make it a reality, but not under that title, but it's the Smod Castle now, right? The, uh, that's the movie theater that he actually owns. Uh, am I getting that right? I think yeah, it's yeah, Smod. yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's the Smod Castle Cinemas in Atlantic Highlands. Um, he purchased it with a conglomerate of other people, uh, one of them being uh, Ernie O'Donnell, in like towards the I think the beginning or the middle of the Clerks Three tour. So, like, I got to be, like, front and center of, like, okay, we're thinking about this purchase. Let's go see it. Like, we said, yes, this purchase. Let's go see it. And, like, I think it was uh, – we had a tour break, and I think I didn't go to Australia for Christmas so I could hang back with Kevin. And, like, <clears throat> during this time, like, I learned how DCPs are struck. I learned how you project DCPs, theatrical exhibition. Like, I learned so much um, yeah. under a dude named Steven uh, Fraza, who's like a, a sweetheart of a human being. But he like took me under his wing. He's just like, you want to learn this shit? Here you go, bud. So like, <laughs> you know, not to toot my own horn. I'm one of the few filmmakers that can also like do like exhibition as well, like strike my own DCP, which is like a nightmare to do, like unless you know exactly what you're doing. And more importantly, you have a theater to test that. 
So after doing like months and months of free labor at this place, Kevin sat me down and like I was going to shoot a what I thought was a promo for wrong reasons. So I sit down next to him and he starts going, he's like, surprise, motherfucker, you got 5% of this theater. I'm just giving it to you for all your like sweat equity. Oh, that is so Kevin's the best. Right. So, yeah. So I own 5% of a fucking six uh, Cineplex, uh, six movie Cineplex. Man, you well, that's awesome, dude. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that's like I he takes, I was gonna say, he takes care of his family, his friends, his fans, and uh, no, that's a great thing to hear because usually when you meet your heroes, not to get on a soapbox, but a lot of the time when people meet their heroes, it's usually a nightmare scenario. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, honestly, like I quit trying to work with my heroes because like I felt that way and I started getting jaded. Yeah. So, like there's there's certain bands and filmmakers that like I go out of my way not to work with now. Yeah, exactly. Because I just don't want it ruined for me. Like let me be a fan of something still. Like, but then you, but then every now and then come 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 you know comes along a a Henry Rollins or a Kevin Smith. You know, true. And the thing I, I forgot to mention earlier when we were when you brought up Henry. Henry actually wrote me back when I was uh, having a tough time in my life. He actually took the time to write a reply to me on the other side of my letter and send it back. And it, it, it took a while because it was a long letter. And it's just like people like Henry and people like Kevin. Your dream home just got a little more real. Bed Bath & Beyond is back with more to love than ever before. At the new Bed Bath & Beyond, you'll find all the products and brands you know with styles for every room and budget, along with a huge selection of furniture and decor, all in one amazing online store. Download the new app today and get a 25% off coupon to celebrate our grand reopening. Plus, get free shipping right to your front door. Welcome to a bigger, better beyond. Because Kevin's uh, done some pretty nice things for for me over the years too, and a lot of other people. Now that's just I, that's really great to hear because, like I said, it's usually the other the other no, side of the coin. A hundred percent. And like yeah, like uh, Henry Ryan's Ian, Ian Mac- Henry Rollins, Ian Mackay, they they actually still like they still write me back too. Like occasionally I'll be like, hey, like I got this punk rock movie dedicated to you. They're like, oh, we'll watch it. And like, <laughs> yeah. fucking, what who else would do that? Like that's crazy. Yeah, exactly. And that oh, that is fantastic. And, and you actually were mentioning something about the poster. There was a story behind the poster yeah. during the break. <laughs> Tell me what about that. Um, yeah, so we shot a poster on a white psych, which for those of you who don't know, is just like a white, like curved wall. So it just looks like the, the performers are standing in the middle of a, a uh, you know, heaven, essentially, like a big vacant white space. And we piled up a bunch of CRT TVs and we put like images of all the cast members in it. And we posed, you know, uh, live on it. And I showed Kevin and I was so proud. I was like, look what I did. I made like this cool movie poster. He's like, that looks like dog shit. (laughs) He's like, that looks like it's directed DVD. I'm like, all right, motherfucker. Can you do better? Like, like here you do it. So he, he contacted Alan Amata. He set up a time. He came in. He directed the photo shoot. And by God, he was totally right. <laughs> like, he, he directed a far better poster than I ever could have in my on my best day. Now, what is that like? The prick. <laughs> Most people don't know what, it, what that process would be, Mike, for the um, – the, post-production materials uh the thing i always remember is 
you know, Sam Raimi and Rob Tapper and Bruce Campbell and, you know, them booking a studio in Michigan to do all those, um, you know, advertising shots of Ash for the first Evil Dead. Oh, yeah. Like, and that was a, a whole photo shoot. It's like uh, almost like a production of its own. Oh, it totally is. I mean, yeah, we, and thank God Kevin helped me with it. Cause like, I've been so busy with every other aspect of this. Like I did the color, I did the sound design, I did the editing, I did the. You did the color timing even? Yeah. yeah. I, I learned wow. color just for this project. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it was a labor. It was a big labor. Um, and as a, you know, cause like it's got my name on the front of it as a thank you to my friends. I gave them all twice as many points as I have in the movie. So I own less of my movie than anybody else that owns any piece of this film. <laughs> oh, but that's a big, uh, no, that's like a Kevin Smith move right there. Uh, I learned from the best. <laughs> well, I wanted to also ask you, since this is uh, a thriller, what, because uh, I was asking you your inspiration, like for uh, becoming a musician and everything, what are your um, horror, I was going to say horror or thriller movie inspirations as a filmmaker? Sure. Um, horror, I don't do a lot of. I'm like the world's biggest wuss. Like, scary things terrify me. So, like, I watched a movie with a friend the other day, and, like, literally, like, it was Evil Dead Rise. And I was literally watching it, like, through, you know, the slits in my fingers covering my eyes because I'm <laughs> such a fucking, like, a wuss. But I have to see Evil Dead because I love the franchise. Yes. Um, thrillers, I mean, anything, David. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, David Fincher. Um, but, like, even... It, we it say, doesn't even. It doesn't even have to be a thriller or a horror. Just, yeah. Like, who is some of your filmmakers besides Kevin, obviously, but like who and David Fincher? That's another great one. Um, who are some of your other um, the people that you look up to as a as a writer director? I mean, Sam Raimi all day long. That's an easy one. Um, I have a, a hallway that is like, God, I hope Bruce Campbell never steps foot in it because he'd be creeped out. There's like <laughs> the shrine. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a complete shrine to him. It's really gross. Uh, but also like Jim Jarmusch is like one of my biggest inspirations on the planet. And I don't know, like there are some scenes that like, you know, it's, it's a wide and we let the action unfurl in front of you and we don't do a lot of cutting. So there is yeah. inspiration from that, but just more of the fucking like by any means necessary, you know, means of, uh, of shooting a film. It's like, and, and Werner Herzog, that's another one. Like that dude like got shot on set for one of his movies. He was shooting in like Russian waters and he got pulled over by a like a boat and like he went downstairs and he got on Photoshop and he faked credentials. And like it's just <laughs> it's so ballsy. Like he would hotwire cars to get them out of his shot. Like that's well, the kind of inspiration I love. But well, he even uh, completed that documentary on the, the guy who got eaten by the bear. Yeah, totally. Grizz, Grizzly Man. Grizzly Man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And then when you watch him, like, listen to the audio, God, it's so creepy. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, this this bear was his friend, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That guy, yeah, he had some problems. He did. He did. Well, what what do you have besides, uh, well, what is the Michael Parks documentary? What's that uh, tentatively called at the moment? Uh, Long Lonesome Highway, the story of Michael Parks. Oh, and, oh, thank you. I, I need to take it back in and open up the edit um, just because there's a couple clips I need to replace uh, as per the lawyers. But um, other than that, like it's honestly it's it's ninety nine percent finalized. And like part of me, 
I hate to say this kind of hopes I don't get Tarantino. Cause that means I got like a lot more editing I would have to do. <laughs> yeah. And just like after sitting on this for five years and like, you know, every year, like less people, you know, probably know his body of work. Cause there's just not new content coming out. I just really think we're doing the, the old man a disservice by not releasing it like as soon as possible. Um, and it would suck that we sat there for five years on it without getting the reason that we sat there for. But I mean, I just want people to see his story, honestly. Like, he was such a unique individual and just, like, one of the most fucking talented dudes on the planet. Yeah, no, that's true. And uh, I wonder, uh, you probably already, obviously probably already considered this, but is there a way to, um, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe if I was making it, uh, it was my documentary, I don't know if I'd want to license Quentin interviews from other places myself, but have you thought like something like that? If you can't get Quentin at all for original material, would that be maybe not something you would want to do or, or Uh, it's, it's something we've kind of already done. Like, uh, we're, we're a low, 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 low budget documentary. I think it was like 25,000 or something. Yeah. So we're depending a lot on our legal team. So like one of the places we spent a lot of money was, uh, God, uh, Caliph and Wilkinson. Uh, anyway, they're the premier fair use, uh, attorneys in Hollywood. So all, all of the biggest use them. So, as long as we're generally, as long as we're talking about a thing, we're allowed to show a thing, like without licensing it and paying people money. So right. like we could talk about his movies and cut the little clips of them, and then we're covered under the Constitution for fair use. Okay. Um, so I, I, in that way, I cleverly used, I think, a couple bonus features of Quentin talking about uh, Michael from the Grindhouse Blu-ray. Oh, so, Yeah. So we, we do have him talking about him. It's just not an original interview. But yeah. a lot of people from that screening said that that felt like more than enough. That's what I was thinking. Something like that. Yeah. So, but yeah. No, but that's fantastic. Do you have um, do you have like a wish list when it comes to as a filmmaker, a wish list of projects that you hope to get to one day that you haven't so far? Um, a big one for me, I just checked a box. Um, this, this movie has like a crazy, crazy soundtrack. Hold on. Let me pull it up real quick. It's uh, Oh, I was not prepared for this one second. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, you're good. Uh, we got, oh yeah. Speaking of black flag, black flag. We have a track in this movie. We have Tim Armstrong, L seven, the wipers channel three byproduct, my other band, the unseen. And then we have a track that <clears throat> we got last second by William Elliott Whitmore. And he is like this punk rock folksy dude. Yeah. And he was just the coolest dude in the world. So like when I asked him and he gave us permission to use the song and he charged us pennies on the dollar, uh, I was like, look, let me pay this forward. One day I want to do a music video for you. So I actually flew out to Iowa about three weeks ago and shot a music video almost entirely on Super 8, which like oh, as wow. a nerd was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like that's. Oh, like sorry. It's almost like the 16 millimeter, like Clark's Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of feel. Exactly. So, like, getting to work with that dude, like, and then also utilize a film element, like, that's a big checkbox for me. Oh, that's awesome. But yeah, I mean, other things I would love to do. I mean, uh, I'll, somebody finance my next movie, please. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I. That's why I bring it up because I'm in the same. I'm in the same kind of boat where like I, I got a whole bunch of different horror things I want to try to crowdsource eventually, and and that's actually one of the things I was going to ask you about, like what you, 
what your thoughts were on um, selling your your film to streaming services and crowdsourcing and just the state of independent film in general nowadays. Um, yeah, we got really lucky. Like uh, Eric Wilkinson, who's like uh, the I don't know what his title is, but he's the purchaser of films for MVD. Um, sweet heart of a human being. Got a mohawk, like still cool as shit. He's a little old. And he listens to bad music. But what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> he was doing a lot. Top 20 shit. I give him endless shit about it. That's funny. <laughs> uh, but he approached us like and he came to a screening and he's just like, if you guys ever want to put this out, he's like, I hope you think of MVD. I'm like, do you mean MVD that like released the Dead Boys like fucking live from CBGB's a couple years ago? And he's like, oh, you know us. I'm like, oh, I have like everything you've ever done. Yes, I know you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know us. OK. Exactly. So like uh, he offered to put it out and uh, I, I didn't even entertain or go anywhere else. Like I just wanted to work with A, them, but B, him because he's just such a just such a cool dude. He's an absolute nerd. Like his basement has I think he's got over 2000 Blu-rays. Like, yeah. He's he's a nutcase. He's an absolute nut. And as one nut to another, I respect that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. And he, I would say he's. Like, would it be fair to say that he was the acquisitions guy? Yeah, acquisitions. I believe that would be his title. Good okay. Point. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always. Uh, I'm always trying to get an acquisition. Uh, a horror acquisitions guy on here. Um, uh, I'll connect you guys. He's 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 a lovely dude, and he like will talk to you straight. He's like you know. I think one of his things he said at the live podcast we did with him is like he can sell a bad movie with a good cover. He can't sell a good movie with a bad cover. And that that oh yeah, right? that's like that's like um, that reminds me of like the Roger Corman um, exactly that. Yeah, like he would give like a right for those that are, don't know what I'm talking about. Roger Corman back in the day, he would have one of his uh, screenwriters. Uh, be in the room and he would give them like the poster idea and the title and he would say go write this movie <laughs> and i love that whole ethic like i love that because <laughs> that's kind of my process uh, now i'm like what would be a cool title and what would the poster be and and create a it's a great uh, writing exercise um for sure for people out there and yeah and on if i was if i had any degree of intelligence in my life which evidently i don't I, I, my next movie would be a horror film because fucking like fans eat that shit up like no other genre and you don't need big stars you know what Truth. i mean yeah so if you got a good concept um even like the first saw movie a serial killer that makes his victims kill themselves Yep. That, that's a great concept. Or yeah, movie, that's all you need. Just an idea. Good idea. Nightmare on Elm Street. Everyone has to sleep. Freddy yep. Krueger. Wes Craven. You know what I mean? 100%. So that, that's fantastic. And uh, do you have any, um, just in closing here, um, do you have any uh, musical projects like a wish list that you'd like to accomplish? Oh, God. I mean, uh, name <laughs> a musician. No, you're good. Uh, name a musician I love. I'd love to work with them on a music video. But, um, Honestly, like uh, working with Tim Armstrong from Rancid, like I've been yeah. shooting a live uh, charity event for years called Muzak, which is uh, you can go to Muzak.org, M-U-S-A-C-K. And it's uh, a great charity that puts uh, guitars and instruments into the hands of underprivileged youth. So oh, that is fantastic. That is awesome, dude. It's great. And every year we do like this big like carnival at my buddy's backyard, which is where like we shot a lot of wrong reasons at. Yeah. And he's he's like a, he's a writer on The Simpsons, so his backyard, I mean, it's a fucking estate. Wow. Um, 
but Tim Armstrong goes and he plays in a tree and it's just, it's a beautiful thing. But like, I got to know Tim through that. And once he said yes to letting us have a song of his for the soundtrack, that's when everybody else down the line was just like, Oh, he's in, Oh, he's only charging that much. We want on board of this too. So that's how we got like the, the soundtrack that we did for this movie. Oh, that is great, dude. All right. Well, one more time for people, uh, that charity, one more time. Uh, Muzak, M-U-S-A-C-K, Muzak.org. Dot org. Okay. And, um, okay, so uh, tomorrow the movie comes out, and congratulations, by the way. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That is a huge life goal, especially to someone like myself. So, um, yeah, no kudos to you. Thanks. if for anyone, if you want to be found, because uh, I got to ask, sometimes uh, my guests don't want to be found. <laughs> um, uh, yes, how can people get a hold of you or, um, you know, find you, all your work, uh, like the main websites that you want people to check out? Sure. The, the floor is yours, sir. Uh, my username on absolutely every social media, uh, including some of the right wing ones, just so I could like get the handle and nobody else could have it, is at Josh Roush, <laughs> J-O-S-H-R-O-U-S-H. Yes. Um, my website is anticurrent.com, A-N-T-I-C-U-R-R-E-N-T. Um, and that's like essentially just a, a couple really poorly constructed uh, uh, fucking HTML sites with a lot of YouTube embedded videos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a good web designer. <laughs> yeah, me neither. No, that's that's okay. <laughs> uh, but the overrides, I believe, is the overrides.com. And um, yeah, I think that covers just about everything I'm doing uh, this month. <laughs> yeah, and you got like like we were saying, you have a uh, you have stake in uh, the Smodcastle movie theater. That's true. Yeah, I, I owning five percent of a, a movie theater for a movie nerd is just God. I cried on camera, and like I'm not an emotional cat. Like I cried on camera when he told me, and then he started making fun of me, so I cried more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he consider the source, you know, when it comes to the crying. Oh, if he's breathing, he's crying. Yeah, but I'm the same way, so. Uh, so I shouldn't say anything. <laughs> well, anyway, this has been great, uh, Josh. And thanks for uh, having me on, man. This is fantastic. I've been waiting a long time, like uh, just to make sure the schedule's worked out. And I'm so glad that it worked out today. And I, I hope you'll come back and, and talk to me once again. I'll come back anytime, man. Thanks for making this just such a such a great time. Hey, thanks, man. And uh, I hope everyone enjoyed this uh, conversation as much as I have. And, and until next time, folks.